You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sometimes I think that we need to remember that football is a game. It's a game played by grown men who get paid a lot of money to do it. We pay a lot of money to watch it. We pay a lot of money for all the fancy merch. And at the end of the day, football is entertainment and football is supposed to be fun. That's what we try to do here on Dear Pats Nation each and every night is have fun. This isn't a no fun culture here. We're talking about a game and we're going to have fun. Sometimes we're going to play in make-believe land where the Patriots are going to sign J.J. Watt or maybe they're going to trade for Deshaun Watson or maybe Tom Brady is going to say the hell with Tampa and come on home and win his eighth championship with the team. It's all for fun. And you know what? When I see headlines like Belichick will be real aggressive in the trading for an elite quarterback and then you go through it and it's all about people believing that if Deshaun Watson is available Belichick is going to go for it that's fun to think about if you're not happy with us having fun I feel sorry for you what's going on everybody it's your boy Ray I'm with my boy Connor we're with our girl Sarah welcome to the Dear Pats Nation podcast And we are back. And if you enjoy the content here on Dear Pats Nation and you enjoy the podcast, make sure you check out our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash DPN Sports where you get daily content, exclusive content for only five bucks a night. No, a month, a month, <laughs> only five bucks a month. We want to welcome UK Wins Vibes. Newest member of the Deer Pass Nation Loyalty Club over on Patreon tonight. Connor's going to talk about how the Red Sox are going to try to be legit, and I'm going to talk about how the Patriots are going to try to be legit. Just a whole legit way so that Connor can win his parlay bet of yeah, the buddy. Red Sox winning the World Series and the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. Um, I'm a little thrown off tonight because I was interviewing Ian Glendon for our Friday show. And uh, he was supposed to give me 15 minutes. He ended up giving me over an hour. So I was really struggling to put things together here. But today we're going to talk a little bit of fun. We're going to talk about that's something that probably won't happen. But let's talk about it because Brian Marquez from Heavy.com is saying that Belichick will be real aggressive to trade for an elite quarterback. And he goes like this, every team whose decision makers have half a brain who isn't trotting Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen out every week should be interested in acquiring Deshaun Watson. And you could and should count the New England Patriots in that number. I'm going to stop it right there and I'm going to throw this question at you guys before we even get into the whole Patriots thing. 
Uh, does Josh Allen deserve to be in that elite category with Patrick Mahomes? Would the Buffalo Bills be better off staying with Josh Allen, or should they be exploring trading for Deshaun Watson? Connor, I'll start with you. Uh, if I was them, I would be happy with Josh Allen. I wouldn't be looking for a new quarterback. I think they already found a guy who can win them a Super Bowl and has the potential. Well, doesn't have the potential. is already well on his way to being their franchise quarterback. If I was them, as good as Deshaun Watson is, I'd be satisfied with keeping Josh Allen. What about you, Sarah? Do you think it's fair to have Josh Allen in the same category as Patrick Mahomes? Well, that was going to be the first thing I was going to say is that I find it kind of weird that they have them on the same level. But um, I mean, if I were the Bills, I would stick with Josh Allen, too. I mean, I wouldn't be trying to trade him, but I don't know that he's like on the Patrick Mahomes level. I mean, people were toying with calling Mahomes the GOAT already. And Josh Allen has been good, but he had his best, you know, latter half of the season this past year. So I think we're jumping a little too far there, but I don't think that they should be interested in trading for any other quarterback. Yeah, I guess when you're looking at two teams that really dominated their divisions and dominated the AFC uh, consistently, we know that Pittsburgh got in because of their start. Buffalo probably should have been first or second in the division by the way they played. And, uh, and I guess when you're looking at the two AFC finalists, uh, you know, one team going to the Super Bowl or not, and I'm a big believer that you know the Buffalo Bills are probably a running back away from a Super Bowl, and I made an early prediction on Sportscaster yesterday that I believe that the Buffalo Bills will be the representatives of the AFC in the Super Bowl next season. I guess uh, I would have to agree and put him in that same category as well, that that's a team that shouldn't be considering Deshaun Watson. You should be rolling forward with a young Josh Allen. That's probably not going to cost you as much as Deshaun. Um, look, there's a very little chance that the Patriots are going to sign or trade for Deshaun Watson. I'm going to put that at like a 1%, the same chance and odds that I gave JJ Watt of joining the Patriots. But like I said, it's always fun to play in make-believe land. Sarah, I'll start with you. If the Patriots were able to make that move for Deshaun Watson, what would he do for this Patriots offense? Well, it would solve, I mean, the main issue that people want to talk about is the quarterback. But of course, there's a lot of other issues that it doesn't matter what quarterback you plug in. If you're not fixing the receivers and you don't have like reliable tight ends, then the quarterback isn't going to be able to be as successful. So if they're able to keep their um, offensive line, if they can keep it as good as it has been, then that will help. But, um, you know, bringing in Deshaun, of course, is going to help the quarterback situation, especially in the passing game, since that was such a complaint with Cam last year. But if he has nobody really to throw to, then I don't know how many more games he would actually win. So, Connor, you heard what Sarah had to say. Now, obviously, that's looking at Deshaun Watson being the Patriots quarterback in 2021. But if you're trading for Deshaun Watson, you're getting him long term as well. Uh, what would he bring to this offense? I mean, he gives them a, uh, a franchise quarterback like overnight, hoping that they can wrap him up for several years. I think he only has three or four years left on his contract, which is still a good amount of time. But, I mean, as soon as he steps in, you have probably one of the top three quarterbacks in the entire NFL on your team right from the get-go. The guy can run. He's insanely accurate. I mean, just thinking about the game versus the Patriots this season, it wasn't necessarily that the Patriots – weren't covering guys. He was just fitting the ball perfectly into windows that you just don't see a lot of quarterbacks be able to make. Um, I mean, you, you get a potential franchise quarterback and a top three quarterback immediately. So Marquez continues saying, as of mid-February, the Patriots' plan for the quarterback position are still unclear. 
We've heard things that imply New England could turn back to Cam Newton, which wouldn't be the disaster that many suggest, but it also wouldn't be a better it also wouldn't be a better option than Bill Belichick and Co uh, acquiring Watson. According to former general manager and current ESPN analyst Mike Tannenbaum, he says that the Patriots will be, quote, real aggressive if and when Watson becomes available. I'm going to stop it there. Does that surprise you, Connor? I'll start with you. Does it surprise you that they believe Belichick will be aggressive if Watson becomes available? Because I think there's a lot of people who are under the assumptions that Belichick would have no interest in trading for Watson whatsoever. Yeah, it does surprise me. I agree with what you said earlier. I'd put it at about a 1% chance that the Patriots get him. I really don't think it's realistic. Um, it, it's just it's so much money. It would cost so much draft capital. I don't know if Belichick would want to sell out that many first-round picks and take on that type of money at that one position. I mean, maybe he might be somewhat interested if he can get him cheap, but I don't think that's going to be a possibility. Sarah, were you surprised to hear that Mike Tannenbaum believes that Belichick will be aggressive trying to acquire Deshaun Watson? Yeah, a little bit just because, I mean, for the most part, we don't really hear anything about uh, what Belichick wants to do with trades, free agencies, the draft. It's always rumors. You don't really ever have anything, I, I guess, as concrete. But I think it's more so about... Um, people just assuming that he's going to be aggressive because the Patriots need a quarterback. So it's easy to be like, okay, well, if this guy is going to go and be on the trade market, then he's going to be aggressive because he's a good option or the best option. So it's, I feel like it's a little bit more speculating than anything other, like anything factual. All right. I will throw out there for the audience that Tannenbaum was the guy who throughout a lot of last off season was insistent that Cam Newton was going to be a New England Patriot. He was that guy who kept saying Cam Newton is going to be a New England Patriot. Obviously, he's a colleague of Bill Belichick. Those GMs discuss things a lot and they start to get to know in their brains. I'm not saying hold what he says with gold, but just for the sake of the argument, let everybody know Tannenbaum was probably the most insistent that Cam Newton was going to be a Patriot. Um, here's what Tannenbaum said on ESPN's Get Up on Monday after host Mike Greenberg asked if Belichick's long-standing relationship with new Houston's Texan general manager Nick Cazario would help facilitate a trade for Watson. He said, quote, absolutely, and Bill Belichick, what is he? He's opportunistic. So if he had to give up multiple first-round picks, maybe a really good player, they have a couple that they can move from that if they can get Deshaun Watson, it can transform the organization over the next 10 years. Tannenbaum also added, if Watson is available, Belichick will be, quote, real aggressive. Now, let me start talking about what real aggressive can look like, because I'm interested to know what you guys think the Patriots would have to give up for Deshaun Watson. I saw a report today that the Carolina Panthers are willing to give up three first round draft picks and Christian McCaffrey. Now, Wow. They have they have mm -hmm. disputed that. But I think we need to keep in mind too if let's look at the AFC and NFC championships this year, you don't get there without a franchise quarterback. Cam yeah. Newton is no longer in a position in his career where he's a franchise quarterback. Uh, the fran the quarterbacks who are available, Marcus Mariota, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston, they are not franchise quarterbacks. It's not often that you see a team get to the show without having a franchise quarterback. 
would it be worth it for the Patriots to get aggressive and try to solidify their quarterback position for the next 10 years? Because we saw this year what it's like not having Tom Brady on the team, and I think we need to get somebody who can play like Tom Brady if the Patriots want to be successful. Sarah, what do you think it would cost the Patriots because they don't have a Christian McCaffrey to throw into the mix. And as good as Christian McCaffrey is, he's not a quarterback. He's a running back. Uh, what do you think it would cost the New England Patriots to get their hands on Deshaun Watson? It's hard to say, especially since we saw the Matthew Stafford trade and it seemed like, okay, if he went for that much, then the Texans are going to want even more than that. So, I mean, it seems like that would be what they would want, but I guess it depends on how they evaluate the situation that they get stuck in with Watson because, I mean, I think that it's rumored that he might sit out if he doesn't get traded. So if they just want to end the ordeal with him, then they might take just two first rounders and a player. I mean, it's, it's possible, but it's not going to end up being as much as people think, but um, I'm sure they're going to get a ton of offers. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it, it does end up going to a team like the Panthers with three first rounds uh, picks and a guy like McCaffrey. Um, so I could see the, I could see Belichick doing something like that. We know that he's not necessarily the most loyal coach. I mean, there were rumors that he wanted to get rid of Tom Brady. So it's possible that he will literally trade anyone to get Watson. If that's really what he wants to do. Connor, is there any player that would be off the table trading for Deshaun Watson? No, I really can't think of one. I mean, I was just thinking about that with the Christian McCaffrey thing. I would give up Damian Harris if they had to, and I really don't want to because I think Damian Harris is going to be really good. But if it push came to shove and they had to match that type of an offer, I'd probably say pull the trigger, give them the three first-round picks and Damian Harris and make it happen. Um, I'm thinking maybe this year's first and second, next year's first and second, and – Maybe I can. The only person I think that they might be interested in, because I know they have serious problems on the offensive line, is Joe Tooney. Mm -hmm. Maybe they tag him and use him to trade him because I think they'd obviously be interested in an offensive lineman. But I don't know who else the Patriots have to offer player wise. Yeah, and that's probably one of the issues when you go down the list of Patriot players. You have developing players who could turn into superstars. You have sort of their star players who have question marks like JC Jackson. It's still yep. we're still waiting to see if he can be that number one cornerback. The Stephon Gilmore situation is is a little bit up in the air because of the the salary that he's going to want. And if you are trading away Deshaun Watson and releasing JJ Watt, why in the world would you want a thirty one year old Stephon Gilmore? Right. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, it's all about draft picks. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, I think that the 2007 version of Randy Moss is available if you can get your hands on Deshaun Watson, assuming that you're you don't have your franchise quarterback. Right. Watson is still a long shot. As great or exciting as it is to fantasize about Watson as the Patriots quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years. People in the know understand that it's still a long shot. Up to now, the Texans have maintained that they aren't trading Watson. Many expected that stance to soften if Watson won't come off his trade demands. The Texans aren't likely to allow this drama to stain the beginning of Casario's tenure as the team's general manager. They would appear more inclined to move forward with Watson, but it is sensible to predict that the Texans will begin to warm up to a future that includes what they receive from the trade package that they're able to collect if they were to trade their star quarterback. I want to stop there for one second as well. Um, you know, I, 
I'm going to bring it back to a Toronto reference here. JP Ricciardi was fired, I want to say 2008, 2009. And Alex Anthopoulos came in to be the Toronto Blue Jays' new general manager. And his first move that he had to make was trade Roy Halladay and trade him away. Halladay wanted to compete. The Blue Jays were going on a rebuild and he wanted to be traded. I would have to imagine the amount of pressure that Nick Cazario is under right now to A, try to mend this relationship with Deshaun Watson, or you have to hit this trade and make something happen. If you're Cazario, is the 15th overall pick even appealing to you right now, considering that maybe you can get your hands on Mac Jones at number 15? Not really. Uh, I I mean I think that they would have to have to they would have to offer a lot more maybe like like I said the fifteenth then their second round pick then next year's first round pick next year's second round pick some other stuff in there I mean it might be somewhat attractive if they put a bunch of other stuff with it but the fifteenth pick is kind of too late for them I feel like it's they they probably want something in the top ten obviously Sarah what do you think. Um, yeah, no, they're going to definitely want more than that. And then of course we have to remember that, um, Watson would have to agree to the trade. So it's like, they could offer them the best thing ever. And Watson can say, no, I don't want to go there. So that's going to be an interesting part of the whole thing too, because I mean, they can get everything that they could ever imagine wanting. And Watson says, no, I don't want to go there. If Tannenbaum is correctly gauging Belichick's interest in the idea of aggression, the Patriots would be nuts not to do their best to win out on the Watson Derby. Watson is the best long-term option, even though acquiring him would cost the most future assets. If Belichick wants to take a stab at being competitive now while also planting seeds for the future, he'll draft a quarterback that he believes has the talent to be the next franchise player at that position, even if he's not ready in 2021. If that's the approach, the return of Newton makes even more sense. Newton will be 32 by the time the 2021 season begins. He could be effective for the next two seasons, but he isn't a long-term solution. Despite the heavy focus on bigger name prospects like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson, the Patriots could potentially find their future quarterback outside of the first round. Bill Belichick is never going to be on the hot seat, so let's end that right here and right now. He will never be on the hot seat. But would Robert Kraft, do you think, would, would he be upset if Belichick brought in Cam Newton and maybe gave the argument that we have that he needs the weapons, you know, and I'm going to get him the weapons and Cam Newton's going to be better. And if Cam Newton comes out next season and skips the ball across the field, misses wide open receivers, pocket presence and awareness doesn't improve. You know, we talk about the COVID brain, Connor, we talked a little bit of this last night, but that Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with skipping balls across the field and missing targets. You know what I mean? Um, If that happens again with the weapons on the field, I mean, does Robert Kraft start at least questioning Bill Belichick as a general manager? Um, I mean, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's what it would take for him to, I guess, start to think about it. But at this point, I think they have such a good relationship. He's doing it, been doing it for so long, and we know that Kraft is just kind of lets Belichick do his own thing. I don't think he'd really start to question him again. It would only be the second season out of the past 22 
I, I don't see it being being an issue. Obviously, I see it being an issue for the Patriots, and they would probably have the same outcome this season, but I don't think Kraft would be all over Belichick just yet. Would it be more of a – but could this turn into a situation where it's fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so, yeah, when you think about it like that. But also I think Belichick will kind of say I got fooled again too because I thought Cam would with better weapons would improve. Um, so Sarah, I guess going along that same line of, of questioning, is it a risk for Belichick to bring back Cam Newton? Like, because he may not care what the fan base says or thinks, but Robert Kraft does because that at, at the end of the day affects his pocketbook. And he is also a guy who remembers the stadium not being full and people not buying season tickets and suites not being sold. Do you think that it's a risk for Belichick? even if it's not his job, but a risk for the team to bring in Cam Newton, hoping that he got over his injury issues and that he is better with weapons around him after what we saw in 2021. So a risk like financially, like for fanship, is that what you mean? Like, I think it's a risk altogether because what we're hearing a lot of now is Belichick wants to go for it in 2021. So that could mean sacrificing drafting a quarterback in the first round if a Mac Jones is available to try to equip the team with weapons to compete in 2021. If Cam Newton comes out and plays like he did for most of 2020, it won't matter who the wide receivers are. It's the Patriots at best will have be a 9-10 to 10 win team, which won't be good enough to make the playoffs. Do you think that that's weighing on the mind of Bill Belichick that Cam doesn't come out of, you know, it's, does you think that weighs on him that, that it doesn't happen? Because one of the things that I no longer have an excuse for anymore, one of the best excuses we have as Patriot fans is Cam Newton had no preseason. Cam Newton had no OTAs. He had no mini camp. All he had, well, that's all Tom Brady had as well. And he just hoisted the Lombardi trophy in a brand new offense with brand new players and a brand new system. So, and I get, again, you can't compare Cam Newton. You can't compare any quarterback to Tom Brady. He's the greatest of all time, but it's tough to use the excuse when you just saw somebody win a Super Bowl going through a gauntlet of MVP quarterbacks as well to get to that, that Lombardi trophy. Will that weigh on Belichick when he's trying to make the Cam Newton decision if he is going for it this season? I mean, possibly. I, I think that if he's even considering bringing Cam back, then he's going to have to believe that he can be better or he trusts him enough. Like, I don't, I think that if um, he doesn't see that there could be an improvement or that they can also try and figure out a way to collaborate with him, maybe change things in the um, offensive playbook um, to work to his strengths or something that he feels comfortable with, then I mean, I, I would assume that they're not going to be interested. So, I, I think that it's it's not going to be like, oh, the safest bet is to re-sign Cam, so that's just what I'm going to do. I mean, it's for all we know, they're going to go with Jarrett Stidham. I mean, they drafted him. I would assume that they liked him. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of it's tricky again, like all of this hypothetical stuff, because of free agency, it's so hard to figure out like what, what direction we think they're going to go in. If Mac Jones is available... And he doesn't take him because he tries to go for it in 2021. And Mac Jones turns into what we think he's going to be, and that's a very capable starting quarterback. And the Patriots go, no matter who the quarterback is, whether it's Marcus Mariota, Cam Newton, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, list any of the, let's face it, mediocre quarterbacks that are available in free agency. 
and they go eight and eight and nine and eight or you know nine and seven or ten wins even um the narrative around Belichick is 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 it's gonna be let's put it this way it's gonna be hard to defend Belichick if that's the way the things work out am I incorrect by that no I completely agree they gotta commit one way or the other I'm almost feeling if they're going to go for it, they have to make a move at quarterback. They can't look at this. Just it's a weak free agent class. It like is a weak mm-hmm. free agent class. To me, you almost have to take a shot at Carson Wentz and hope he can turn around. Right. Or someone, something. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm just imagining a training camp where it's Jared Stidham, Cam Newton, and Marcus Mariota fighting it out for the starting quarterback position. Yeah. I mean, that's almost destined to be a 9-7 and seven season. Well, it I makes mean, you wonder, too, if they have their eyes on anybody that might be coming up in the draft next, if they don't draft one early because they have you know, number 15 pick, which they haven't had that high of a pick in quite some time. Um, not that I'm saying that they shouldn't draft someone um, just because they're available. Like, obviously, if Mac Jones is available at 15 and they want a quarterback, then I think they should go for it instead of waiting until next year. But it just kind of makes you wonder, like, if they don't take a quarterback at 15, which most people feel they should, does that mean that they have their eyes on somebody else already? You know, to me, the telling sign was they had two scouts at Trevor Lawrence's pro day, which tells me they're interested in, in drafting a quarterback because they have no chance of getting Trevor Lawrence. They know that, but he's the bar. Right. Like he is the standard. Now everybody's going to be compared to Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. You don't waste two people's times unless you're interested in getting a quarterback. Now at some point the Patriots have to address, they can't keep putting this off. They can't mm-hmm. keep putting in fillers at the quarterback position. Either you have to make a move for a Deshaun Watson or a Jimmy Garoppolo and say, these are going to be our long-term options. Or you have to draft somebody and bring in a bridge quarterback. Cam Newton needs to be a bridge to me. I'm going to put it this way. I don't doubt that Bill Belichick can't get this team back to compete in three or four years. But I think what would be very disappointing to me is seeing Cam Newton as the quarterback with nobody coming up the ranks. Yeah. Because he's not a long-term. He's already showed his decline. Even if he's better next year because he has weapons. And he's serviceable. If you compare him to 2015 and then to 2018, then to now, you've already seen the decline in Cam Newton. He's beat up. He's hurt. He's, you know, he's almost like a Gronk who's just going to age really poorly. Um, that's not a long-term solution. You're talking two years, maybe. And if there's nobody coming up the ranks, we're going for it with Cam Newton for two years. You know what I mean? And And then going into a full rebuild. So I think that's... If you're going to go for it now, I want to see, and it, I don't know if it's Jimmy Garoppolo because what has yeah. he showed us? Like, what has Jimmy Garoppolo showed us that he's the guy to bring the Patriots to that next level? And this is where I struggle with the whole retool piece. Yeah, the thing with Jimmy G is the only thing is I know Belichick really liked him a few years ago and he went to the Super Bowl with that one year that he was healthy. But outside of that, man, all he's shown us is that he can't really stay healthy. He struggles to stay on the field. I mean, he had a pretty good game versus the Patriots, but they just were a shell of themselves. They barely even showed up to that game. I think half of them were sleepwalking out there. It was one of the worst games I've seen them play ever. So I, I don't know if Jimmy G's the guy either. I only thing I think is just because Belichick liked him from the past. 
I do think that we need to remember that one of his injuries where he missed like the entire season, it's it was a flu injury and he like tore his ACL. Like I know that people are like, oh, he's injury prone and I don't disagree, but um, I mean, that could happen to literally any player. I mean, he was run out of bounds with the football. Like it's just a fluky thing. So um, I don't know if we should count that as like he can't stay healthy. I do because I remember that play and I remember ripping him on that play because well, he should have been out of bounds already. You know what I mean? He put right. himself in a position to be injured. Here's my thing about Jimmy Garoppolo. He had a chance in 2016 to start four games for the Patriots. He played a game and a half because he got injured. Right. Then he played three games in 2018 and he played six games in 2020. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He, so out of four games in 2016, he played one and a half. Then 2017, Sorry, 2017, he gets traded. He plays all five games. He plays three, or I guess two and a half, of 16 games in 2018. Has a full season in 2019, and then plays six of 16 games this season. I still believe that they might have been keeping him out purposely, but in 2020, I mean. They already well, knew they were losing the season anyway, so there was no point in putting him in and risking more injury. But But, but they brought him back after injury, and he got hurt again. Oh, okay. I didn't, I don't, I didn't remember that. Yeah. He was injured. His return game was against the Patriots. He came back, beat the break off the, beat the breaks off the Patriots. I think they beat the Rams the week before. So they were kind of on a win streak and then he got hurt again. Yeah. So yeah, no, Jimmy, uh, yeah, they went three and three with Jimmy Garoppolo in, 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 as their quarterback this year. Um, and listen, the Super Bowl run wasn't great for Jimmy Garoppolo either. Let's not forget that. That was on the back of his running backs and defense. And yeah. it showed in the Super Bowl. So outside of injury prone, I don't know if the talent's there for Jimmy Garoppolo. Even though he seems like the best option because of his familiarity with the team, I don't know. Okay, guys, we need to take a quick break here. Connor's going to look at the comments, and then we're going to talk about some uh, wide receiver options with our Patriots outsider Lawrence Owen talking about Curtis Samuel. Laura, Connor, you look at those chats, and I want you guys to hear about our sponsors over at the Rocky Mountain Barber Company and Manscaped.com. Visit RockyMountainBarber.com and get all the products you need to take care of your hair, beard, and skin. Get their small batch, all-natural beard bombs and oils, pre-shave oils, lotions, hair products, razor blades, and so much more. Visit Rocky Mountain Barber Company and use the promo code RAYROUTE and save 5% off all your orders. Get your small batch hygiene products at RockyMountainBarber.com. You can get your male hygiene and grooming tools and take care of everything below your belt from manscaped.com and use the promo code RayRoute and you'll save yourself 20% and get free international shipping. So take care of your boys and get all of your male hygiene and grooming tools at manscaped.com. All right, Connor, what do you got? All right, we got one right here, which um, I think is a concern for everyone from Facile. It says, if we get Watson, we won't have cap, guys. That's what I meant. So that is going to be an issue. Um, although I saw one right after here, I don't know if this is correct. That from Zane Latif, it says Watson's cap hit is only ten million. Um, do we know what his cap hit is? I thought it was going to be much more than ten million, which I'm is my concern. At, if they give him that type of money, I mean, I'm looking they, it up. They might not be able to sign money other people, and we know they have a lot of holes to fill. Yeah, I thought it was closer to thirty, but. I could be completely wrong. His, his cap hit in 2021 is $15.9 million. Oh, that's not bad. And no, it gets expensive in 2022. It's $40 million, $42 million, $37, that's a, that's a franchise quarterback today, though, guys. Right. You're not going to well, get the Tom Brady for $20 million, right? That's well, a and it's possible that the cap will be higher, too, because they're 
just read a story the other day saying that the NL is trying to make big TV deals, and that's why they haven't released the cap space. So it's possible that they'll even have more money than what we, um, what they have projected right now. And fifteen um, million is basically nothing. I know for they're Deshaun waiting. Watson. I know. I know they're waiting on the TV deals, but they're actually they're going to lose money on that TV deal. The oh, TV okay. Co- I thought it was the, more. No, the TV companies are pissed. Because mm-hmm. especially ESPN and and uh, NBC, because they had the double Monday night games and that oh, Patriots right. Kansas City Chief bled game bled in, and then the then you know CB and then NBC hosted a game or CBS hosted that Chiefs Patriots game, and they had Brian Hoyer versus you know the ratings were awful. No, they're, mm-hmm. they're sitting there turning around going. So that's why these all the companies are coming back now. A bunch of them wanted out of their deals, saying we're losing well, too think- much money. Yeah, I think it would just affect the Patriots by I think I saw it was like only 10 million or something like that if it um was lower. But still, 15 million for Watson is nothing in 2021. Yeah, that's that's a lot less than I thought it would be. It's just <laughs> we- it, whether I mean, I think that trying to convince him to agree to a trade to the Patriots is more of the issue here because right now why would he say I want out of Houston, so let me go to New England. Like, I don't know that he would want to do that at that mo- at this moment. Oh, I mean, I think that should be our bigger concern, whether uh, uh, other than the money, <laughs> right? And- well, it all it all depends too on who's offering up for Deshaun Watson, right? Because if mm-hmm. it's Philly and New England, and those are the only two real strong offers that that they're willing to, you know, the, the Texans aren't just going to give him away just yeah. for the you know the sake of it. And there will come a point if they say, look, we have a deal, and he, they say, nope. And then we say, we have another deal, and he says, nope. They're going to say, you know what? Go sit out then. Yeah. You're not getting your game checks, and we're going to fine you $68,000 for every day you miss. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's Because at some point, you can't, you can't trade him for a second-round pick because Deshaun just keeps saying no. Right. Well, and they have to figure out their situation post-Deshaun, whether he sits out or whether he's traded. I mean, they have to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. Yeah, and I also um, wouldn't be uh, – as. He's got a $67 million dead cap this year. Yeah, oh my huge. I mean, they'd almost want him to sit out this season where they're right. only losing $15.9 million towards the cap with him sitting out rather than trading him and losing that $67 million. Next year, if they trade him away, it's going to be a $51 million cap hit. Um, and, uh, you know, and you might see something where, where they say, you know, we'll take the 67 million cap hit this year, but you got to occur the 51 next year, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's, they don't have an out until 2024 where it's a 5.4. Actually, it's a 10.8 in 2023. Mm-hmm. 2023. Okay. Yeah. 10.8 isn't, isn't bad, but that's still another two years away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike Larry has one here. He says, Watson in New England is like parking a Bentley in the hood with minimal moves and even protecting it. Um, yeah, I mean, they they would obviously have to find a way to bring in more weapons because if not, right now it has the team sits. There's not much around them. I'll give you that. Yeah, I think that's why like free agency is going to be so important because leading up to the draft, you're going to kind of see what they're doing, but then that might help sweeten the deal. Although it, it does suck in a way because um, – Free agency doesn't start for like another month. So it's, I mean, if, if the Texans are trying to move on sooner rather than later, who knows if that's going to, if Watson's still going to be available next month. You got oh. one, Connor? <laughs> yep. 
Patriot Nation says uh, Derek Carr is the best quarterback available outside of Watson, but won't give up near as much. Watson and Carr, only two QBs I feel comfortable with to lead us to a Super Bowl. I don't know uh, if Carr is available. I think yeah, Mariota's I was just going to say that. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that Carr is technically available. He's a rumor, but I mean, I think that's just a rumor at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I don't know if, if Carr is going to be available because it seems like they rather trade Marcus Mariota and keep Carr. Mm-hmm. So what you got to remember here when we're looking at the at the thing, and we'll we'll get to uh, actually no, I'll read this because it's actually a perfect breakdown for you. Okay, shout out to Ross for the donation. Appreciate it. He says disagree. Shades Cam had no weapons back from major injury, COVID, facility shutdowns, no preseason, offseason, etc. Unfair expectations from spo- spoiled fans. And I think we've kind of agreed with this, but like, at the same time, everyone's had to deal with the same things, except for the fact that yeah, he was coming off an injury, he did have no weapons. These are all legitimate things that are definitely true. But like we said at the beginning of the show, Brady won the Super Bowl with the new team, but. It was tough. It was, I I give him I give him some some uh, slack, but some of it was just him too. It was both. Yeah, I think letting him off the hook for some of the things he did is is on as much as it's unfair, and it is unfair that he took the full blame for this season. I think that that's ridiculous. Right, um, that he took as much blame as he did. I mean, if the Patriots let up a touchdown, it was Cam Newton's fault. You know, when he's on the sidelines as the quarterback. Uh, but at the same time, to excuse him for everything that happened this year is not right either. So I want to give you guys, I often turn to the PFF grades, yeah. right? And I don't know if everybody actually understands what the PFF grades are and how they work. So here's basically the breakdown is if you have a grade from 90 to 100, you are considered elite at your position. At least that your grade that season you played at an elite level. If you're 89 to 86, you played at a Pro Bowl level. So you're a Pro Bowl level player, okay? Then there's a big gap from 70 to 85, you're a starter. And then from 69 and below, 69 to 60, you are a backup. And anything below 60, you're replaceable. Okay. That's what they call you. The Patriots had three players who had enough snaps on offense, uh, receiver-wise, to be graded. Jacoby Myers was a 78, so he was at a, a starter level. Demir Bird and Nikhil Harry played at replaceable levels. That was their grade. That makes sense. There were seven quarterbacks this season that played at elite levels. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady... Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, and Josh Allen. Yep. Now, I like PFF because their grades are based on a play-by-play. Like, it's literally you get graded on each and every play that you make. And it's based on the team you're going up against. It's based on the defense you're going up against, who you're throwing the football to. Then you got to the starter levels. Baker Mayfield, Dak Prescott, Derek Carr. Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Kyler Murray. I'm going in order. Matthew Stafford, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Philip Rivers, Daniel Jones, Joe Burrow, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Drew Brees, Jared Goff. This is where it really drops off. So Ryan Fitzpatrick played at a 75.1. Yep. So he was really in the middle of a starter. He wasn't in any risk of falling off in either way. 
Drew Brees played at a 71.5 this year. So he was 1.5 away from being a backup, playing like a backup. Jared Goff played at 71.3. Cam Newton played at 70.9, and he's the last starter in the league, or played at starter level. So he was 0.9 away from playing at, at the level of a backup quarterback. And then Andy Dalton came in at 69.6, so he did play like a backup. Interesting piece. There was only four players who were replaceable this year. Nick Mullins. Yep. Jalen Hurts. Hmm. Dwayne Haskins. Yep. And and Sam Darnold. Wow, okay. Bunch of uh of backup levels though. Andy Dalton, Ben Roethlisberger, Gardner Minshew, Taysom Hill, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater, Alex Smith, Tua Tango Viola, Carson Wentz, Drew Locke, Mitchell Trubisky. So it was That's uh, a long list. Yeah. It was. And they played at, at backup levels. Here's my concern with Cam Newton. And this is why. Cam Newton's grade of 70.9 is boosted a little bit unfairly. And this is where PFF isn't perfect. Cam Newton has a 97.1 receiving grade. Oh, okay. Yeah, because of that catch. Yes. He had a passing grade of 67.8 and a running grade of 66.2. Yep. If you took away his receiving grade, he'd be under 70. He'd be... He'd be but then he math. also only had what one receiver that was even graded at a decent level. But so, that'll that all comes into the consideration though. That's what I'm okay. saying. That's why I like PFF because it's based on who you're throwing to, who you're playing against. It's based on decision making for a quarterback. If you break down what PFF does at stuff, it breaks down decision making. It breaks down the accuracy of the pass. It breaks down the pass. It breaks in the takes into consideration the coverage. It's, it takes all of that into consideration. So it's not based on stats. Traditional stat lines don't tell a whole story, mm -hmm. right? You know, right. you look at a game where it's like, well, Brady only got 200 passing yards. How was he Super Bowl MVP? Well, because he threw touchdowns when it mattered the most. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a part of the game that stats don't reflect. No, PFF and DVOA, that's why they're my two favorite Player profile I like because they give you a couple of cool stats like, you know, true catch radius, you know, so or true catch percentage. So they take out uncatchable passes that go against mm -hmm. your catch rating and that kind of thing, which, by the way, all the Patriots receivers, as bad as they were, their true catch radius is through the roof compared to their actual catch radius, which means that he threw a lot of uncatchable balls this year. Um, I love, but that's why I love DVOA. And that's why I love PFF because they take all that stuff into consideration. So Ross, I'm not hating on him. I get it. He, he was down, but there needs to be equal accountability everywhere between what happened on the team, what happened with Josh McDaniels and what happened with Cam Newton. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you guys talked about this, um, yesterday or on uh, Sunday, but I did find it interesting that he was on Brandon Marshall's, uh, podcast and did mention that. Um, the long-term effects of COVID did affect him. Whether or not that's an excuse or it's legit, I don't know. But, I mean, that's something that at least I have speculated, that maybe it did have a little bit more of an impact. I mean, even Jason Tatum came out today saying when he was out for those two weeks dealing with COVID that he still has 
some effects of it with at least his breathing and um, focus and whatnot. So if that, that could be playing into it too. And I'm not saying that, you know, it, it would have made a million and one times better. We would have gone 16 and oh, like, I'm not saying that, but um, I, I, I found it interesting that now we finally heard him a little bit, like elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah. Here's my concern. He had a 2018 grade of 70.9, exactly the same as this season. That has nothing to do with COVID. He was a 68.7 in 2017, a 68.5 in 2016. 2015, he was an 84.9, which still actually wasn't even, I know he was the MVP that year, but didn't even grade at the MVP at the, at the pro bowl, you know, pro bowler level 76.1 in 2014. Since 2016, really, he is what he is. That's the thing about Cam Newton. I so think then are that, people's expectations too high then? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is something that Connor and I got into, I think, Sunday, was our expectations of Cam Newton were way too high. I think we all expected the 2015 Cam Newton or to come in and and lead the patriots um you know connor had them going 16 and 0 like they were going to do it and then he came in and it's funny because when it happened there was a lot of panther fans that said to me just wait that guy's gonna break your heart just wait you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. as the season went on he did (laughs) you know what i mean and i mean I think what what was getting to me this season, and I was trying to fight it so badly, when the analyst kept saying, I don't know why Cam is planting his foot like that, or I don't know why his foot's off the ground, and I don't know why, you know, this is Cam Newton. He needs to work on fundamentals. And I'm sitting there going, like, he's 31 years old. He shouldn't be working on fundamentals anymore. You know what I mean? And I think one thing that you have to do with Cam Newton is, A, either accept the fact that he doesn't have the fundamentals and it's the truth he never has it's been the knock on him since college that he doesn't have the fundamentals of a quarterback and allow him to be who he is lawrence though made a really good point to me he said one of the bigger problems with cam newton now than than back in say 2015 he's not as fast Mm-hmm. He said, watch him. And, and and actually, Lawrence is doing it. It's going to be telling. I hope everybody watches it. Lawrence is doing a Cam Newton film room for us this Friday and going through all his film this year. And and Lawrence, if you watch him, is very objective. He goes, you know, half good, half bad. Like, he looks at film evenly across the board. He takes – he go, he looks at two different games, your statistical best game and your statistical worst game. And he puts that all together and picks the good and bad out of both games. So he's going to be totally objective to it. But one thing he said to me was he doesn't have, he's still a beast where he can still barrel forward and and knock people over. He doesn't have the East West speed anymore. And we actually saw it a lot this year where he tried to come out of that pocket and get caught. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's one of the big problems, but yeah, this year he had a pass grade of 67.8 and a run grade of 66.2. His run grade was actually seventh amongst all quarterbacks, uh, which sounds great, but there was only nine who were ranked for rushing this year that had enough runs. So he was seven of nine and he was 25th of 36 quarterbacks in passing grades. Um, 
Yeah, I do. I think, and Connor, I think you and I, when we discussed this, we said it, our expectations of Cam Newton, I think, were too high. And I take some of the blame right. for that because you and I were both on here, or back on our sportscaster, or Stone Sportscaster, but back in the, 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 the height of Sportscaster, we were both like, oh, Cam Newton, like he's going to expect him to look like he did in 2015, you know? Right. Like, it, it's... <laughs> Basically, expect him to look like he was like five years ago because I think we're just so used to like Tom Brady getting better as he gets right. older, forgetting that most quarterbacks get worse as yeah. they get older. Well, and yeah. I had been saying that too, like even some of my articles about people's expectations were just way too high. And, and to a certain degree, you can't blame them. But I don't, I, I mean, I think it, it doesn't really matter who came in. After Tom Brady, there's going to be like a ton of scrutiny on them just because you're so used to Tom Brady. And if you come in and you're not doing as well as people expect you to, then they're going to rip you like every week, whether or not it's it's uh, warranted. I don't think that Cam Newton deserves to be ripped for last season. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think he does I uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think... You know, Connor, my expectation for last year was eight and eight. Yeah. And you thought I was crazy. And I was wrong. They were seven and nine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I, I stuck at eight and eight. When Cam Newton came, I said maybe 11, maybe right. 11 and five. And they weren't too far off either. Well, well, I'm just saying, based off of like, if he hadn't fumbled against the Bills, could have won that game. Or, you know what I'm saying? Maybe if he yeah, played but, against but he the did. Chiefs. Yeah, that was yeah. The they, thing, got, though, he did. they got some lucky wins too. Kind yeah, of. no, I know, he and did. I'm not discrediting that. I'm just saying there are also some that it's like, oh, that one thing. If that hadn't happened, that's all I mean. I get what you're saying, and and I think it was around week 17, Connor, that you and I had that discussion. Like, how many times can we can can we say, if only, right? If only he got in against Seattle. If only he didn't miss Nikhil Harry in Denver. If only he didn't fumble in Buffalo. You know it. it it was like every game was almost, you know what I mean? Every loss, unless they got the brakes beat off of them, like they did against San Francisco and like they did against Los Angeles, yeah. where it's complete team losses. When they were close, close losses, we kept saying, if only. Right. You know what I mean? And it's at which point, here's the thing, and you can't compare the two. You can't compare the two. But we would have said if only maybe once with Tom Brady. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Absolutely, right. Chief game aside, so remove the Chief game, right? Because that was a loss. In the other 15 games he played in, we played a game against Denver where they beat us kicking field goals on every single possession. Two touchdowns would have erased. We would have been, there would have been a lead in, in the second half. You know what I mean? Um, I was on the defense of that game too, though. You can't keep giving up three points, but then at the end of the day, they were only giving up three points. You know, three touchdowns wins that game. Yep. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask a team to score three touchdowns. I really don't. I don't think that's an unreasonable number to put out, especially against a team like Denver, who was letting up, you know what I mean, uh, points. So I don't just look at him missing Nikhil Harry that game in a tight game. I look at it going, our defense didn't give up a touchdown. And we couldn't keep pace with field goals. That's a problem. We probably should have lost to Arizona. Yeah, that was the missed field goal one. 
Yeah, you know, so that's a game they did win that we probably should have lost. That was an awful game by Kyler Murray, and that's when he was injured, whatever. But he played awful. Yeah. I, I, I don't care. Um, Murray did. So, yeah, we should have won some tight games. The would have, should have, could have. But we should have lost some games too, right? So I think that it all balances itself out. This team was an 8-8 eight and eight team. Whether yeah. we won 7, whether we won 9, whether we, you know what I mean? Give or take, this team was exactly what I thought they were, was 8-8. Eight and eight. And then they beat Miami. That Seattle game is what did it for me. Seattle raised my expectations beyond what they should have been. They really should have. You know what I mean? And I didn't take any consideration at the time that Seattle's defense was probably the worst in the NFL. Yeah, I didn't. I thought they were actually going to be pretty good. Yes. You know, they got Jamal Adams, but then they turned out to be everybody was putting up, you know, monster games against the Seattle Seahawks. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, by you know, the end of the year, their offense and defense switched. Their offense just sucked and their defense got a lot better. It did. Things things did switch off. But at, at that beginning of that time, I mean, they were just, everybody was putting up monster, yeah. monster numbers against Seattle. I didn't know mm-hmm. that at the time, though. So I think we oversaw. And somebody else made a good point. I can't remember if it was on the chat, if it was in something else I watched. They said, if you look at the first three games of the season, RPOs, week one against against Miami. You know, basically a very run-heavy game, very... Cam run centric. Then they come out airing the football against Seattle. If you break down where Cam Newton started struggling, because I'm thinking about the first time he came out and said, I have to play better. It was the week three win against the Raiders. If you remember, I think we were trailing at halftime and it didn't really Rex Burkhead played like a, and that was, um, no, that's one that we saw. What's his name? The little running back who had the, the who started JJ Taylor, JJ, JJ mm-hmm. Taylor. And that was sort of the first game that we saw Cam Newton struggle. That was also the first game that it wasn't a simplified game plan. You know what I mean? Where it wasn't just straight run or straight pass where it was a mix, uh, you know, a mix of things. And the game plan got a little bit more complicated and the playbook got opened up a little bit more. Uh, you know, and then, and then COVID happens and then, you know, and then, then they can't keep pace with field goals in Denver. Then they get just the crap kicked out of them by, by the 49ers. They come back. Let's remember barely beat the jets Yeah, Nick Folk field goal. That's when the legend of Nick Folk came, came to be right. The legend of Nick Folk, the 51 yard field goal. That was the day that, that, uh, he's my kicker, I think started trending amongst two people on Twitter. Um, that it did then the Ravens game honestly imagine if we played the Ravens at the end of the season right the way they went into the playoffs they would have beat the crap out of the Patriots that game would have been close you know I mean we caught the Ravens at the right time and let's also not take let's not discount that that somebody was looking over New England that game and started the monsoon on uh, on Lamar Jackson's final drive of the game. Those mm-hmm. pictures are great of Cam Newton's final drive versus Lamar Jackson's final drive. Um, and I will point out, and this is again, I didn't see this throughout the season because I get very homerish throughout the season and I don't see the imperfections. I only see the good things. But I rewatched that Baltimore game. Cam Newton couldn't put the game away. 
they actually had to punt the ball and give Baltimore that chance. You know what I mean? They were trying. They all they had to do on a first and ten was pick up a first down, and they ended up going three and out on that series. Yeah, you know I mean, or on that on that piece, and it was like, man, like those were the little things that with Brady you knew he was going to pick up that first down and put the game away. With Josh Allen this year, you knew he'd pick up that first down and put the game away. That's what we weren't getting out of Cam Newton. I think that he took too much blame for a lot of things. I think that we def. Are we okay? <laughs> Sorry, that was my nephew that you could hear. He just slammed the door to his bedroom. <laughs> oh, this poor kid just ran <laughs> through a wall. No, he's just mad about going to bed. No. Um, do you know what I mean? When you start looking at the little things, I think we defended him a little bit too much in certain situations. Go back and watch that Baltimore game where we came out and said, Cam Newton is back and watch it objectively now because it, you know the score, you know how everything ends. You can sit there and watch. He didn't play well at all that game. You know what I mean? He really did. The defense played phenomenal and ate up Lamar Jackson. Yeah. But in that moment, I was like, look at Cam. You know what I mean? Like, I, So I think that he took too much blame. But then there was other games like the 49ers game that I don't actually put a lot of that blame on Cam Newton. Yeah, they got they got ran all over. It was the worst I seen the receiving core, the worst I saw the running backs, the worst I saw the offensive line. Cam Newton was probably when I make a list was probably like ninth on that list of who to blame. I actually put a lot of blame on Belichick that game. The the game plan looked awful. Yeah. Um the defense was terrible. JC Jackson was awful. You know what I mean? Like there was a lot, the, 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 the run defense was horrific. The receivers were horrific. The running backs were horrific. The tight ends were horrific. And then Cam Newton was on the end. So Cam took a lot of heat for that game. I don't put it on Cam Newton. You know what I mean? Um, so that's one that I take back, but I look back at that Baltimore game where we gave him tons of credit. And if I could do it over again, I wouldn't give him as much credit as he deserved or that, that he should have, that I gave him. Right. It's and that's it. But that's what you're gonna get out of me during the the season. Is I'm I'm in the emotional piece of the game when I've been able to sit back now since January, because I've had nothing to do in, in January. Um, is rewatch the season and you start to see things and go, oh, how did I not? You know, oh, there's things I know that there's receipts that I wrote that I said Cam Newton doesn't do and he does it. You know, like there's things that people told me Cam Newton does. I'm like, no, he doesn't. And I got here, Connor, and I and I did my whole Ray thing. And if people want to throw those receipts in my face, they're there because yeah. I was I was wrong. You know, um, that's the difference between you know Ray in September, October, November, December, and Ray in February, March when he has time to talk to him about himself in third person and and, and watch the tape over again. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough when you, when it's during the season, because we try and be so optimistic and then you just kind of overlook what's actually going on. Yeah. So, uh, we ran out of time 30 minutes ago. I said that I was going to play <laughs> the, uh, the Patriots outsider. So I will chop that up and put it out as an individual video for tomorrow. Nice. Um, and uh, why don't we finish off with some comments? Alrighty, we got a donation from our boy Ross here. Shout out to Ross. He said Tom equals the goat. 
but I am tired of people worshiping him when he smartly went to a team that was stacked offense and defense, happy for him, but not impressed. Um, I am impressed. It takes a lot to still win a Super Bowl. The team was stacked. It was definitely a team win, but the best you can do is win the Super Bowl, and that's what he did this year. Andy's 43. Andy's 43. So I think that deserves quite a bit of credit for that alone, actually. Ray, nothing? No, yeah. Good. <laughs> I, I'm trying to leave the comments for you guys. I said that we were going to do that yesterday, and I did. I answered one comment, and it took us 25 minutes to get to the next one. So, <laughs> Yeah. Here's one what we were kind of talking about from Chilltown Majors. The Patriots could have won the Seattle and Buffalo game. Yeah, they very well could have won both of those games. They were about an inch away from winning both of them. But at the same time, they probably should have lost like the Arizona game. I think it was a missed field goal that gave them the opportunity to win it. Either way, they weren't going to the playoffs. They probably should have lost the first Jets game as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there was a penalty that kept that, that drive alive. You know what I mean? So yeah. you can flip it back both ways. Yeah, they should have. They could have won Seattle and Buffalo, and they could have lost Arizona and and uh, and and the Jets. The first Jets. The second time they really beat them well, but the the first time and and that against Flacco and that that completely, you know, it keeps the the record exactly the same. We got a funny one from Joe here. Everyone could get separation against the Seattle defense. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys think that that was part of the thing too? Like, I didn't think the wide receiver core was going to be that bad. I thought they actually looked pretty good after week two. But I think it was just that Seattle's defense can't couldn't cover anyone. Well, well let's look at let's look at the stats from that game. And I was going to say it's funny because that last play came down to whether Cam ran it in or trying to give it to Nikhil. And so people were excited because Nikhil looked pretty good in that game. And then just look at where we are now with what people are saying about Nikhil. That's a very good point. A lot can change. A lot did change. I recall coming out and not being as high on Nikhil as everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it was one game and people got really excited about it. Um, but then, of course, it doesn't take that much to drastically change that that feeling. There's, we're a very excitable fan base. I kind of recall that game. Was Connor and I got into an argument over Nikhil Harry, Harry, which by argument means Connor says, I disagree with you. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm trying to see what his stats were that game. I feel like he had like 70 yards and a touchdown or something decent. Yeah, no, no touchdown. He had eight catches for 72 yards. That was a career high. Career I high. That. I remember that. That's the game, and Julian Edelman uh, had yeah, 179 he had, yards. Yeah, his best game of his career, <clears throat> stat-wise, yeah. anyway. Yeah, Nikhil Harry had had uh, a long of 17. I remember that, and I just kind of went like, I think we're getting a little too excited over this this stat line from Nikhil Harry. He was targeted 12 times that game. It's funny because it was very shortly after that that as much as you know, the fan base gave up on, on Nikhil Harry, I think it's safe to say that Cam Newton gave up on Nikhil Harry as well. Like you could tell he had just – he stopped looking for him. Right. He, he was like, kid, like I've done what I can do for you. Like you're not coming through for me. Right. Yeah, by maybe, the end of the year, he probably didn't want to deal with it. Maybe Brady just saw it sooner. Right. 
We have one here from The Truth says, why are we keeping Stidham if we have no faith in him? Um, I think it's just because Stidham doesn't cost much to keep, right? It would make mm-hmm. no sense to really cut him. I don't think there's a there's a benefit to cut him, is there? You also I mean, he's back. still on. He, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, I was going to say he's still on his rookie deal. So, I mean, they're paying him like pennies, basically. And And we have no faith in him. Yeah. For all I we mean, know, Bill Belichick has faith in him. That's Maybe, true. but I mean, they never had him start over Cam, so you never know. That's true. I know, but see, it's it's so. Should I play devil's advocate? Because it's what we do, right? If we say it one way, I've also heard that they knew the season was a wash last year, so they said, "Why put him in that situation? Let Cam Newton go out there and you know what I mean, well, and, and, and take the brunt of it." But, so, but even mm. against the Chiefs, though, they chose Brian Hoyer. Well, hold on. At that time, though, Brian Hoyer was the backup quarterback, and he took that job back after the Chiefs game, right? I mean, it was uh, – I think that Belichick realized at that point I made a, an awful mistake here going with Hoyer. And I think I'll, to this day I will live with – I think Hoyer – first of all, Stidham got hurt in camp, and yeah. it was a non-football-related injury, and I think that he was in Belichick's doghouse. Number two, I think they saw the importance of Hoyer to help Cam Newton with the playbook as the backup quarterback over Jared Stidham, right? Um, then they decided to go with Hoyer because as the backup, you're going to take more first-team reps than the third-string quarterback, and uh, and they both sucked. So, very, I mean, very good is, point. It is what it is. And then let's face it, Cam Newton came out the next week and didn't look any better than those two did against the Chiefs. You know what I mean? So it's just, it was just, it, there was just a lot of bad quarterback play in general this year. Yeah. Yeah. Over three kind of on, on all three of them. Ross with the donation. Thank you, sir. He's saying shades. Cam was in, sh- in shape, but not football shape. He literally didn't play for almost two years. And after one season, everyone is saying Cam is broken goods. I've said this so many times. This is one of the things, and I'm okay because camp. The camp situation is kind of almost like a hill I'm willing to die on, so I'm just gonna keep going with it. But this is something that I said, and when I spoke to a trainer that works with NFL players, this is exactly what he said: that when he was training, he was training um, to rehab an injury. It wasn't necessarily training to get back into football shape because. I mean, at that time, he hadn't been signed or even had any interest in being signed by any team until, as we know, late June. So I just think it's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of things that went into maybe not uh, uh, allowing him to have the most successful season. Whether or not we would have won any more games, he would have passed more touchdowns, who knows. But I would be interested in how everything goes if he does train to to make a, you know, to, to start um uh, at, at a quarterback position in the league. What if he did have a preseason and all of the OTAs and all of that, and and maybe he had better receivers? Like, what are we going to get from him? And maybe it's not a situation that many coaches or GMs and uh, owners are going to want to do the what if. It's possible. So, but yeah, I just had to say that because <laughs> this is something I've been saying forever. Yeah, the only thing is I don't know if he was just still kind of injured this season or if he's just getting older and his it's just taking the all the hits have taken a toll on his body because there's one thing, you know, if it's an injury, you can come back from it. If you're just getting older, like how we see Gronk now, I think it's just taking a toll on him. I don't know which one it is. So I'm going to throw this out here mm-hmm. that his completion percentage this year of 65.8% is the second highest completion percentage he's ever had in the NFL. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, because okay. he's never been like a heavy passer. 
I think the most yards he's ever thrown was his rookie year. It was over 4,000. Yeah. Yeah. But whether you're a huge passer or not, that all depends on whether you hit your receiver and they catch the ball or not. Completion percentage. If you throw one pass, you have a completion percentage has nothing to do with yards. He threw the ball less than he ever did in his NFL career on a full season. Like even in years when he didn't play a full 16, he threw the ball, you know, almost 500 times. He only threw it 368 times this year for 2,657 yards. I'll go back to this guys. This is what I got to go back to his PFF ranking in 2016 was 68.5 In 2017. It was 68.7 in 2018. It was 70.9. And in 2020, he was 70.9. Was he not in football shape in 2016, 17, 18 and 20? You know what I mean? That this is just where I'm starting to like, I'm starting to look at his completion percentage in 2019, 56 point. Okay. He only threw 89 passes. Let's go away from that. 2018 was his best year since his MVP year. Completed 67.9% for 3,300 yards. Prior to that, 59.1, 52.9, 59.8, 58.5, 61.7, You know what I mean? Like that's not great. Like those aren't good completion percentage quarterback ratings of 56, 58, 64, 57, 61, 47, 51, 53, 22, 47. It's not the first time he's had 47, 2016, the year after his MVP year, he had the same quarterback, you know, point one better quarterback rating than he had this year. I'm trying to find his rushing stats to see what the big difference on that is. Cause that's probably the biggest rushing yards. It's his second highest. Oh no, sorry. There we go. There we go. His second highest rushing attempts that he ever had in his career and his one in his third, fourth highest ever rushing totals. Okay. He is what he is. His stats are saying what he was this year is what he's been his whole career. You know what I mean? 2015 was his MVP year. And I'm looking at the stats. I'm looking at the grades. I don't know how that, I think it's because of their record. Cause I don't know how the hell he won MVP. Right. Like it's 600, he had 636 rushing yards. He threw for 3,387, he threw 35 touchdowns. That was his highest touchdown percentage total ever. He played two games last year and didn't throw a touchdown, or sorry, in 2019. He didn't throw a touchdown in 2019, um, which is crazy. This was the second least that he was sacked in his career. So he wasn't under as much pressure as he has been in the past. And he played 15 games, which is one of his higher seasons as well. Right. The stats and the grades are saying that this is who he is. Right. It kind of just shows that it's, this has kind of been, you know, the peaks and the valleys, but the peaks aren't, aren't high enough to really solidify him as an elite quarterback. If, let me ask you guys this. If Cam Newton had Tom Brady's personality. Mm hmm. Would we be as excited about him? Oh, you're saying like if if he wasn't how he is with all the nicknames and like everyone loves him and all that type of stuff? Yeah, because I'm not questioning Cam Newton the person. 
Right, right, right. You know what I mean? And the leader. Yeah, I'm he's definitely a good dude. Cam Newton, the quarterback. Yeah. And for, no, I'm not even putting this leadership in there, but if he was Tom Brady, where he would come out and say, yeah, we got to work really hard. Good goalie gosh, you know? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Right? Brady can act like a, like like he does because he's, you know, a beast on the field. And he's fake, right? We all know that Tom Brady's fake. Because he walks around Gillette Stadium behind the scenes saying, I'm the baddest motherfucker in the world. And then goes in front of the media and goes, oh, you know, it's a... And I shouldn't have thrown a couple picks and you know, we know he's fake. We know he's fake. His pub public persona is a fake persona. We know he's yeah. different behind the scenes. Lots of, you know, his, unfortunately his teammates give things away. Like, why are you fucking crying? We're not done work yet. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Julian Edelman telling stories about him giving him shit behind the scenes and some of the things he wears, right? Where Cam Newton's very authentic, right? When he's out front. And that's one of the things I love about Cam Newton. I'll go back to this, Connor, <laughs> and, I, and I refer to Connor on this because uh, Sarah wasn't with us during the season. How many, at least once a week, we talked about how much we like Cam Newton because he was taking accountability for his bad yeah. game. Yeah, that and, was only a good thing for so long. And I remember we finally got to a point and I read the quote and looked at you and said, like, this sounds like a repeat of last week. This is a copy and paste. Yeah, you know it was I mean? a copy. It took me like six weeks to realize that it was a copy and paste for like the past six weeks. I'm like, we've been getting the same thing for like almost the whole season now. But he took that accountability. So that's just what he I did. wonder. And again, I, I think that Sarah hit it on the head that we were way too, our expectations were way too high on what he can mm -hmm. bring. And the grades and the stats are saying Listen, you got to remember his grade is the same is 70.9 is the same as it was in 2019 or 2018. That was his highest grade since 2015. Right. Like he went up. So 2011 was his rookie year, he's a 67.3. Then he was a 72.4, a 73.2, a 76.1, goes 84.9 and then 68.5, 68.7, 70.9, 48.5. Played very injured in 2019, and then 70.9 this year. Yeah, yeah. So if you average that all, it's very middle of the pack. It's it's very yeah, and again, and I I think it's fair to say I was a big Cam Newton fan prior to him coming to the Patriots, but I also admit to everybody I don't watch the NFL as closely as say someone like Connor does outside of New England. Um. Connor probably pays attention a lot more than I do. And I'm, I don't know about Sarah's TV habits cause we just talk about the Patriots, but, um, I fully admit that I watch football, but I don't pay attention as, as, you know, as much if than I do to the Patriots games. I'm going to go back. I can go back to 2015 on uh zone and I'm going to start watching Panthers games from 2016 and on cause 2015 was his MVP year. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it from 2016 and on, and and really try to get uh, a sense of who Cam Newton is. And if I is he what we saw this year? Is there more? Or worst case scenario, did he exceed expectations this year? Right. <laughs> Considering that with everything that happened, his grade was higher than it was in 2016 and 2017.
Yeah. And this comment sums sorry, it up right Ross. here from Big, from big MGM. I, I'm sorry, Ross. I know that you and I are usually on the same page. And I'm not trying to come here. I'm just trying to look at the reality of the situation. Yeah. Well, he actually commented and said, um, I'll argue all day with you, Shade, my boy, but just disagree. So. Y'all are good. <laughs> yep. And this comment sums it up too. Cam, this year was the definition of a mixed bag. Was all in on it on Newton? Hell no. But it, is he the answer moving forward? Long term, also no. I mean, yeah, long term. I think Cam's in it in his uh, what early to mid thirties at this point. Thirty two, thirty three. He's thirty one. Thirty one. Thirty two. Going be thirty two. Right? Yeah. No, not many quarterbacks are going to play to Tom Brady's age, if any. We saw that even with uh, Drew Brees completely fell off a cliff this year. He was barely good enough to still be a starter. So, I think Cam only has a couple years left in the league, anyways. So, long term, definitely not the answer. Well, and I think I might need to clarify that I am not arguing that Cam is the answer and that they should have Cam as their quarterback forever. I don't know if people are mistaking me for saying that. I'm just saying I would not be someone who would hate the idea of him being in as a bridge quarterback. I'm not, I'm just, I just don't want to disqualify that because there's a lot of people who don't want him back at all. I'm saying bridge role. That's fine. I'm not saying he should, he's our quarter of the future. Cause I'm seeing, I'm seeing some of your comments, guys. I see you comparing me to Max Kellerman. <laughs> I don't appreciate it at all. I so. didn't hate the idea of it until today. Like until yeah. like, I've never studied these numbers because we're a fan podcast. We're not the media, okay. um, but I've never studied these numbers like this. And as you guys are talking, I'm just, I'm looking at every analytic. I'm looking at every traditional stat. His best two completion percentages came in 2018 and 2020. Mm-hmm. That's not good. No, you know what I mean? That's definitely not, not. That's not good at all. Like I'm looking at everything here. These are not good stat lines. Weapons are no weapons. Like these are not all the way through his career. These are not good. I overvalued what Cam Newton was coming yeah. into this season. He doesn't even have 200 passing touchdowns. I'm sure with running touchdowns, he has way over 200. Keep going. I'm just I'm I'm in my own little world right now. Okay, we got another donation here from Joe Shadow Kinkato twenty one. Newton needs pass catchers with wide wingspans. Maybe that's it. He needs people with very long arms who can reach out and catch the football. That I mean, could, wouldn't any quarterback want that though? Yeah. But I think what Joe's getting at is because he's not his his accuracy's not there, a larger wingspan gives him I'm looking at that now too. So I'm on player profiler now, which breaks down a little bit more of the individual ability. All right. Oy, oy, oy. Cam Newton's catchable pass rate, which means the amount of catchable passes he throws. So ones that are, you know, not overthrown, that kind of thing. And, Again, take a little bit of this into consideration because, the, you know, there's some pressures and stuff that get thrown away. 73.9% of 
That's good for 35th out of 36 quarterbacks. Ooh. Um, believe it or not, the Patriots are like one of the best teams in the league for drops this year. They're 30th out of 32. Really? Yep. Yeah, and in the drop category, you want to be low. You don't want right. to be high, right? Right. Um, receive, this is the one. This is the one. So Doug Kai, this is what started. You guys want to hear something? Because now, now I feel foolish. Do you want to hear the beef, how the beef started between Doug Kai and I? Here's how the beef started. Doug Kai came out and said, contrary to popular belief, I'm paraphrasing, but contrary to pop, but it's something arrogant the way he would say it. Contrary to popular belief, if you watch the film, Patriots receivers get lots of separation. Cam Newton just can't find them. And I told him he doesn't know how to watch film. Yada, 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 yada. You know what I mean? And then this is how the whole beef started. And he quote tweeted me, I quote tweeted him back, and the whole beef started. Receiver target separation is defined as average target separation for all running backs, wide receivers, and running back receiving balls beyond the line of scrimmage. So this is separation beyond the line of scrimmage. What place do you think the Patriots ranked in this year? 27th. Mm, 17. I, I'm just, I'm afraid you guys aren't going to believe me. Okay, it's going to be high then. It's going to be like eight. How about three? Oh, wow. Oh, man. That's really bad. Hmm. So, how much of it was the bad receivers? Right. Because this is literally what started the beef between Kyde and I was him trying to claim that the Patriots receivers are getting open and me saying, no, they're not. He's got no one to throw the football to. Yeah, I mean, that kind of that kind of just puts it to rest that they were third. That's insane. I thought they would have been close to last. Now, some of that is because he holds the ball forever. That too. So they may not have been open. They might have been open... 90 yards down the field. So we got to take that into there's there's other things to take into consideration, right? The receiver target separation was third. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. That really You want to hear the craziest? Now, that's all together. That doesn't include red zone you know what I mean? And all that kind of stuff. The, that's the one thing I can't find in here is a whole lot of red zone stuff. Uh, his red zone percentage, completion percentage, was 52.8%. That was good for 49th because sometimes receivers would throw footballs and stuff, you know, in, in quarterback. So, like, Jacoby Myers would get that rank. You know what I mean? Yeah. So be- because of that, he falls under non-quarterbacks. Right, that like in ended up forty ninth. The Patriots had one of the best run games in the league this year. He was twenty ninth in play action completion. Oof. His his true completion percentage. 
And this is, I like true completion percentages. And I want to just give you this true completion percentage is completion percentage factoring out unpressured throwaways and drop passes. So if he had to throw the ball away, you know what I mean? If he was under pressure, if someone dropped a pass, 71.2%. That's good for 28th in the NFL. There's a lot. I mean, we're blaming things. His catchable pass rate, he was 35th. His clean pocket percentage, he was 74.3%. Here's the craziest part. His pressure completions, fourth in the league. So when he was under pressure, but I think that was a lot of dump passes. They should have had a worse offensive line. What's that? I said, so they should have had a worse offensive line. Yeah. Uh, His accuracy rating, 32nd in the NFL. Adjusted yards per attempt, 27th. Air yards per attempt, 32nd. Actually, the Patriots yak when receivers caught the ball was really good this year. Here's here's the ones, okay? <laughs> so they have what are called money throws, danger plays, and interceptable passes. Money throws are tight window. It's a pass requiring exceptional skill or athleticism as well as critical throws executed in clutch moments. Cam Newton threw eight. All year? All year, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That was the 35th. Danger plays, which is defined as any play in which the quarterback lacked awareness or took an unnecessary risk that could have resulted in a turnover was 27. That was good for 20th, which isn't bad. You don't want to be high in that category. You'd want to be... In the you'd prefer to be in the lower tw- the, the 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 deeper twenties, but it's okay. And he was rated 17th in the league with 20 interceptable passes, so 20 passes that should have went for interceptions. I've never really, I've never stared. He only threw the ball 36 times in the red zone. Yeah, that's crazy. They they were they had nobody to go to in the red zone. His supporting cast was 22nd in the NFL. So, supporting cast efficiency is obviously the efficiency of his running backs and wide receivers and the people he throws the football to. I I mean, it's I've never really done a deep dive on these numbers and I'm I'm really I'm not happy that I did. To be yeah, I'm <laughs> really not happy that I did because this is uh, they're they're not good. His rushing metrics are phenomenal. He was second in carries per game, only behind Lamar Jackson. Yep. Second in carries overall. First in red zone carries. Second in red zone carries per game. I don't understand how that works out. Third in rushing yards, fifth in rushing yards per game, and uh, first in rushing touchdowns, right? Let's not forget, he actually had, what, 20 touchdowns this year, right? Yeah. Eight of them thrown, 12 of them uh, run in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these I mean, these numbers aren't great. Um, 
And his PFF numbers are backing up a lot of different things. All right. Um, we need to wrap this up. We're at our hour and a half mark. But, uh, yeah, it, this is um, this has been an interesting very ex- experiment. <laughs> as we've looked at these numbers. I don't want to look at this shit. No I know. Don't, don't ask me to look up anybody I like anymore. Like, right. Should I look up Hightower's numbers? Should no. I, should I crush my dreams? <laughs> I think I'm going to do it tomorrow's show. I'm going to look up all the Hightower's metrics. Oh, boy. Well, we missed a sponsorship. We missed a (laughs) uh, segment with Lawrence. We missed a lot of chat. Yeah. Connor, (laughs) get rid of the chat, please. And... uh, Oh, there we go. <laughs> Hold on, put that one back. I don't know what this means. I think this is obviously a comment to somebody else. Yeah, he's leaving. He has to leave. His wife said something about he has to play Minecraft or something. I don't know. Oh, nice. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Lawrence Have is a fun. big gamer. Lawrence like builds like gaming computers and stuff. Nice. Yeah, I think that for he was like making his own him and his buddy like they like he does like all 3D graphics and shit too. They were like making their own video game. Oh, hell yeah. Good yeah, for them. He, he's a big video game guy though. All right. Fuck it. I'm sick of hearing about the Red Sox. Sarah. Tell me about those Celtics. They won tonight. So, we're back on. Let's try. They're going to be legit, kid. They're going to be legit, kid. <laughs> Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.